We're kicking off a new series today. Really excited. We're calling this series, It's Not You, It's Me. A series around emotional health in our relationships. Jesus says, um, I think before we start talking about emotional health, I think we need to, uh, to kind of go back to our why or our roots on why we would be talking about such a thing in the first place as followers of Jesus. So I want to begin talking about love for a moment. Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. Jesus summarizes all of scripture in a number of places as loving God and loving others. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us, Lord. People who forget or struggle, Lord, with the way of love. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts our eyes, our minds, Lord, to not only receive, Lord, love from you, Lord, but to be able to understand and wrestle with what it means to love our neighbor, our closest neighbors. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Our thesis for this series is, uh, is pretty simple. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I think maybe you could bring this mic down a tiny bit. <laughs> Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so when Jesus um, begins talking about love, we can see some of his first followers take this uh, and kind of flesh this out in all sorts of different ways. First John 4, if Jesus is summarizing scripture and the sort of nature of his ministry is loving God and loving others, John writes, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. This is how God... Uh, showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it goes on in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. Galatians, Paul says this. Uh, he writes, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I wanted to begin this series um, and begin this talk particularly with those passages because um, to quote, Dostoevsky, love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing. 
compared to love in dreams. Let me, let me, let me uh, read that again to you. Love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. That's good, right? I don't know about you, but uh, there is, I've yet to meet a person, follower of Jesus or not, who would like come across those passages that I just read and have any sort of like cognitive dissonance with them, any kind of pushback. In fact, many of you are still followers of Jesus in part as we've seen kind of a, a as you've encountered maybe hypocrisy in the church or experienced sort of the funny things happening politically in the West, at least, in, with the church. Some of you are still rooted in followers of Jesus because of passages like this, because you know that, like, orthodox, even, even like, proper fundamentalism that is the way of, of Christ that is outlined in the Scripture is rooted and established, to use Paul's language, in love. And yet I think Dostoevsky is right. I think it is um, because we talk about love, because we sing about love, because we can all agree that love is a good thing. We uh, imagine that love is a sort of an easy thing. I don't know about you, but whenever I, I like, begin to sort of master something or have a handle on something, Whenever I understand something well, it's much easier to uh, accept it, to process it, to put it into action, it feels like. But um, I have found in my uh, ripe old age, which I won't share with you. Um, by the way, speaking of old age, can we, uh, Jen Mancuso, where are you at? Oh, uh, Jen. It's Jen, Jen who sings worship, who's been leading worship from like year seven, I mean from year one in our church. We're about seven years old. Jen Mancuso had a birthday today. Yeah, it's her birthday. Oh, yes. Was it yesterday or today? She's not even in the room. I can't even embarrass her. Um, as I've gotten older, I've realized just how true these words are. Love and action is, is difficult. It's a struggle. This idea of loving your enemies is not something that... Uh, I can talk a lot about it. In fact, it's one of my favorite sermons to give. My little prophetic edge in my bones loves to like push on that. Few of us, I think, know how to love. We all want to love. Um, and I think we apply these commands um, in a really kind of interesting way when it comes to our daily life. For most of us, we tend to apply biblical truth with the relational skills that we learned growing up. So I think it's really important, for instance, um, a lot of people's theology, uh, what they accept about who they think God is and how God works has a lot more to do with their personality and how they grew up than anything else. There's like studies that have been done about this. This is much more a determining factor and like what sort of ideas about God that you gravitate toward. For example, just let me say this again. For most of us, we apply biblical truth with the relational skills we learned growing up. So an example would be this. How many of you love the verse, speak the truth with love? Something in your personality like loves that verse, speak the truth with love. Nobody? Cool. That's like a big one. I like, like that one, right? Because love is volitional. And sometimes you just got to tell people like it is. Now, the command is speak the truth in love. But this sort of like give it to them hard hitting angle that I know I have 
doesn't necessarily come from the scriptures. This is things I've learned from my upbringing or circumstances around me that have caused me to have this particular view. It, it, it is, I assume, like when I say speak the truth with love, when it becomes off blunt, I assume that I know what a person's intentions are or that I actually know what the right thing is. Where did you learn to talk like that? Peacemaking is another great example. Peacemaking for many of us is not bringing up a subject to keep the peace. Anybody fall into that category? Yeah, I love that. I'm a peacemaker. Jesus says be a peacemaker. I am the calm, cool center of the world, which equals never bringing anything up. Well, it's important for us to to recognize that we learn that from somewhere, and we don't get those sorts of instructions from the Scripture. Get rid of all bitterness and rage. That for you manifests itself in muting people on like Instagram and Twitter. (laughs) We need, I mention all of this is because we actually need skills to live out the way of Jesus. This is what we've been talking about all month is these spiritual practices that help us move into truth and don't allow just our vision of the way of Jesus be simply like affected by whatever our, our current political context, our family upbringing, um, and allowing that to simply shape all of it. We need skills to live out the way of Jesus, the way of love, so we don't just import, hear this, so we don't just import our family history or look just like the rest of the world, because I think these are the two options in front of us. We easily, e- e- we either import the, the way that we've understood what it is to love and relate to other people onto the biblical text and say, this is really what it means to be a peacemaker or to speak the truth in love or whatever it might be. And so we either twist scripture with our own family background or we end up simply just sort of adopting a very worldly or fleshly way of engaging that. So today, week one, what we want to get into here on uh, It's Not You, It's Me we want to, all, we, all four weeks, we're going to talk about these, uh, some spiritual practices, some specific practices. And this first week, the practice is simply this. Stop mind reading. Will you say that with me? Stop mind reading. And clarify expectations. Stop mind reading. And clarify expectations. I want to turn your attention to the screen for a minute. I have a video here for you. <coughs> this uh, video uh, was made in 1944, and it was an experiment of behavior. It was this landmark study. And so what happened is, as you just keep watching the screen, uh, the people who put this together watched, uh, asked people to come and watch and explain what they saw happening in this. And so as you keep watching this, uh, they had, I can't, I can't remember how many people in the study uh, we're looking at this, but uh, person after person after person, they would come, they would watch this video, then they would watch it again, and then they would begin to explain what they saw happening. The fascinating thing about this, of all the people watching this, only one person saw it for what it is, geometric shapes moving across a plane. <laughs> only one explained it like that. Why? everyone else made up stories about it. Oh, this is totally a story of like a bully, right? That big triangle makes me mad. Or or other people, it was like, well, the big triangle is trying to protect 
like, it, like a, it's kid from a bad relationship, and, and they're being pushed out, and there's all these fascinating accounts of like what people thought about what was happening. I don't know about you, but I literally watch this, and that big triangle just makes me angry, right? But people imported stories onto this. Some people saw like some sort of revolution beginning, and so instead of registering inanimate objects, they made up stories. You can take that off now. <laughs> they made up stories. We are story-making people. And the point of that, or what they, they um, surmised and what we can make sense of has been spoken about and talked about and researched over and over through the centuries is that we are story-making people. This is what we do as humans. We make stories. We need narratives. And it happens automatically, and it happens often. We're not even aware that it's happening. There are stories that we tell ourselves that impact our emotions. This is one of the biggest reasons why we actually have problems in our relationships. Being a storytelling uh, creature is not a bad thing. But the reality that this, this happens automatically when it comes to our relationships often produces so much um, wreckage. We make up stories about what our friends or our partners or our pastors are thinking we make up stories um, when people post certain things. They must be, they must be uh, thinking like this. We make up stories when people don't get back to us right away. We make up stories about um, what people must, how they must think of us or think of somebody else when X, Y, or Z happens. It begins to have a huge impact on our emotions when we make assumptions about what people are thinking. Pete Scazzaro says this in Emotionally Healthy Relationships. He says, the stories we tell ourselves have an enormous impact on our feelings. Consider the difference of what goes on in your mind when a friend who agrees to meet you for dinner is 45 minutes late. How different are your feelings when you tell yourself, maybe he had an accident driving here, or this relationship is clearly more important to me than it is to him. Each interpretation generates a different feeling. Why? Because our feelings are closely related to the stories we tell ourselves about the things going on around us. To quit faulty thinking and maintain good emotional and spiritual health, we must make an intentional decision to stop mind reading and to verify our assumptions by talking to people in person instead of our heads. The book of Proverbs uh, it's filled with practical wisdom about holy restraint and not jumping to conclusions before we have all the facts. Proverbs 18.2 uh, says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. <laughs> Proverbs 18.13, uh, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Keep it up, Proverbs. Proverbs 18.15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. Now, all of this, I think, is codified for us in a funny place that I would not have thought to look in Exodus 20, 16, in one of the Ten Commandments. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm battling some sickness today. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony. So the Ten Commandments are written to these people, these slaves that have just been saved by grace. They have been released uh, from Egypt. They're walking through the wilderness, and then the Ten Commandments actually map 
right onto what an ancient marriage covenant like, would look like. And so these Ten Commandments were sort of these ten ways of life. This is how we're going to live together with God and with each other. So this is the framework for the Ten Commandments. This was like set into motion how these people, these slaves, how they're going to roll together. The Ten Commandments condemn the worst and extreme form of every sin. So, for instance, murder is the worst kind of hatred. Adultery, the worst kind of sexual sin. And so you get to the ninth, and it forbids the worst kind of lie. And so hear this. It's one that condemns an innocent person for a crime they didn't commit. One that condemns an innocent person for a crime they didn't commit. When we jump to conclusions about other people, when we assume that we know certain things, we are what? We're bearing false witness. This is a commandment because viable human community depends on truth-telling. So let me just like fast forward this to our current moment. A viable marriage depends on truth-telling. A viable friendship depends on truth-telling. A viable home church depends on truth-telling. A viable, healthy workplace depends on truth-telling. The ninth commandment is about the public portrayal of reality. We have to speak the truth about them unless we condemn an innocent person. Pete Scazzaro says, every time we make an assumption about someone who has hurt or disappointed us without confirming it, we believe a lie about this person in our head. You with me? Because we have not checked it out with him or her, it is very possible that we are believing something untrue. It is also likely that we will pass that false assumption around to others. When we leave reality for a mental creation of our own doing, we create a counterfeit world. Anyone struggle with this? I want to be honest with you. I had like a bunch of stories. They all like indict me too much. So I didn't want to share any of them. I'm usually so honest with you. I didn't know where I went to choose from. This is a real struggle. I think most of the emotional carnage in my life has come from believing stories that I assume about what other people must be thinking. And I think maybe for some of you, if you're really empathetic or you have a real good sense of reading other people or knowing what they're like processing or how they're thinking or you've gotten a bunch of things right in the past, it's easy for you to just assume you're always right. You can, you can read minds, essentially. And, and the other lie that maybe some of you have a propensity to believe like I do is that people are thinking about you and talking about you as much as you think people are thinking about you and talking about you. Can I get an Amen. You're not a big deal. <laughs> like, let that, let that heal you a little bit. You know what I mean? Let that, yes, I'm not a big deal. People are not thinking about me right now. We create a counterfeit world when we do this. When we do this, it's like we're excluding God for our, from our lives because God does not exist outside of reality and truth. And we wreck relationships by creating endless confusion and conflict. At the root of so many blow-ups, so many blow-ups is this, this reality in this picture. So we are invited to stop mind-reading. I want to invite us to do this. In our home groups this week, we'll get into this a little bit more. So to shift to a positive picture then, to clarify expectations. There's a reason these two things go together. Stop mind-reading and clarify expectations. This is an unbelievably important skill. 
Unmet expectations wreak havoc on our relationships. People leave jobs over unmet expectations. Churches split over unmet expectations. Couples divorce over unmet expectations. Families stop talking over unmet expectations. Home churches dissolve over unmet expectations. Often we don't, like we don't know that we have them. Usually, I don't know if I have them until they go unmet. It's only, it's only when someone disappoints you. It's only in that silly moment where you come home and you're like, oh, man, I thought you were going to have the whole house clean. And you don't like realize that your wife has actually been working really hard all day doing a thousand other things. And you never communicated that expectation. And even if you had, it wouldn't have changed any. I mean, not that this is something happened in my own life, but it's being silly. It's only when someone disappoints us. Here's the problem with our expectations. If you're taking notes, it should be on the screen here. They're unconscious, unrealistic, unspoken, unagreed upon. These are the problems that we have with our expectations. We have unconscious expectations because we have expectations of others that we don't even know that we have. We don't know we have an expectation, again, until we're disappointed with them. They sit below the surface. We have these unrealistic expectations, unspoken. We're, we're conscious of them, and they may even be realistic, but we never told the other person. <laughs> Anyone nudging their spouse right now? Or they're unagreed upon. The amount of times I feel like, oh, no, we agreed upon that with my wife. And really what was said was, oh, that's, you know, you know that, that could be a thing. Like, oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, good thought. It's not the same as, yes, we're going to do this. We have agreed upon this going forward. Let me stop us for a minute. I realized when I, when I was thinking about when we put that list up, in all these ways, we need to be aware of our unconscious, unrealistic, unspoken, unagreed upon expectations, that this is a lot of work. Amen? This is a lot of work. And let me just say this with all, like, just humility and grace. Being an adult is a lot of work. Felt like some of you needed to hear that this morning. It just is. You can choose not to be an adult, but we have a name for people like that. Marriage, friendship, home church, expectations that we have in these things are hard work. And so I have a little note in my phone that I, I try to pull up regularly. It's like kind of part of my regular devotional experience and journaling going into this new year. Is my expectations must be conscious, realistic, spoken, and agreed upon. You have expectations of me. I have expectations of you sometimes. I have expectations of the people around me. Are my expectations, am I aware that I have them? I mean, literally just a few minutes ago, I got frustrated at somebody on our staff for a hot second. And I'm like, because I have all these expectations that I haven't even, I don't even know that they were there about things that there's no possible way this person could have had a reaction or response to. Like, just, like, I, am I aware, am I doing the hard work of what I'm, when I'm coming into a new space or coming into an environment or coming home from work or stepping into um, a conversation of what's actually going on below the surface. So just reminding myself as I'm engaging with people, typically in conflict, like there's a breakdown in one of these areas. There's a breakdown in conscious, realistic, spoken, and agreed upon expectations. Maybe today you need to just begin to ask yourself a question, like where, like where um, am I disappointed with someone else? 
Where am I disappointed with how things have worked out with this situation? And like begin there, have a conversation. And finally, what happens uh, when, um, I said finally, sorry, finally, what happens when our expectations go unmet? Because I think that's something we need to talk about when we're talking about clarifying expectations and mind reading. Uh, I was trying to think about our church community and the culture there, and uh, it's really, um, I was having a conversation with somebody who started dating in our um, community, and I was, I, I kind of joked with them, and I know this person relatively well, and I joked with them like, all right, look, if you guys break up, please break up well. And I realized even as I said that, which is probably good advice for anybody, right? But when you're a part of a church community, when you're part of a church community that has a lot of millennials and then young married couples, there's all sorts of interesting things that happen. So like there can be huge breakdown when, when couples, when a dating couple breaks apart, uh, the big one that I notice is when folks get married, their single friends begin to feel resentful. Like, hey, you said we agreed in our home group that we were always going to have movie night on Saturday night. That should have been in your vows that that's a thing. And now, like, you want to spend more time with them, and then that's what's wrong with the church is, like, married couples are pushing away single. And really, you're like, I just want, I should have a little more time with them than I do with, like, we have all of these expectations that come up, and when they're unmet, we have to move um, from, uh, from an expectation to a hope. In the dumb movie night example, right? I hope that these, this couple that used to be in our, that, was, that are still in our home group can still make movie nights. I, I, it needs to shift to a hope, and then I need to deal with the realities that sometimes that hope, uh, it will be unmet. Maybe they felt like they like some people couldn't say no to you. Like you have expectations of people and because they felt actually you were demanding something of them or maybe you weren't clear enough, all of a sudden unmet people have these unmet expectations and you feel let down. And this is where we have to be able to have adult conversations. And I think mixed in with this, knowing that people let us down, knowing that, well, if I can't have... Um, <laughs> Uh, maybe they, it's not just that they're flaky, but because I've pushed something on them or circumstances have changed and I have to deal with the loss of that. I, I wanted to end our time with asking, what happens when God doesn't meet our expectations? We all want to know what God is doing. I think anybody here who's a follower of Jesus wants to know when God will do it. I think a lot of us would like to know how he will do it. I think we all want a little bit of control over God. We say, God, I'll do this for you, and you'll make me happy. Or, God, if I do this for you, you'll at least like spread out the suffering a little bit. It doesn't happen all at once. Now, God is faithful and just, but the way of God's faithfulness and love and justice will probably not completely line up with your expectations all of the time. There's this interesting collision of stories in Mark 5, 21. I'm not going to read through the whole text, but there's this story where Jesus is in the crowd. Jairus comes up to him. Jairus comes up to him 
um, leader in the synagogue, and he wants someone to heal. His little girl is really, really sick, and he asks Jesus to come and heal this little girl. And so they begin walking through this crowd, and there's people everywhere, people touching him. And there's this woman who touches the hem of Jesus' garment and is made well. And it's this crazy story where Jesus then, like, somehow feels the power, like, leave him. And all these people are touching him. And he says, like, who has just touched me? Like, there was something different that happened. <coughs> and so he stops everybody and he turns and says, who just touched me? And it's like the woman knew Jesus was talking directly to her. And he turns to her and he says, look, look, your faith has made you well because there's all this superstition about touching the hem of the Messiah's garment. And he says, no, it was your faith in me that made you well. All the while, Jairus' daughter is dying and they're still walking. And then a friend of Jairus comes up and says, hey, your little girl's died. Like this, 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 this lady who comes in and grabs Jesus' garment jacks up the whole thing for Jairus. And then Jesus says, keep, he says, keep believing, keep believing. And then Jesus finally arrives at the house, sees this dead girl, and in this miraculous moment, raises her from the dead. This is the story of two plans. One driven by superstitious healing, and the other, Jairus wanting to have his daughter healed. The woman gets a reorientation of what's really going on, and Jairus gets a resurrection. Both came with what? Expectations. They both came with expectations. We follow God, and we have our plans. Sometimes God supersedes our expectations, and that's just the best. And sometimes it feels like it takes a long time. Or we're unaware of the cocktail of sin and brokenness in our life and the lives of others, and God's going to reroute and go bring us a different way. Ronald Roheiser says, you have to forgive God for the way you thought your life is going to turn out. Now let me clarify his statement here. God has done nothing wrong to us. God has not sinned against us. What he's playing with, this idea that he's playing with here is simply you need to be aware of your expectations of God. Some of us are still waiting to be healed. Some of us are still waiting to be married. Some of us are still waiting to be parents. Some of us are disappointed. So whether we're talking about a person or whether we're talking about God, being aware of our unrealistic or unconscious or unspoken or unagreed upon expectations. When we have these things, it leads us into an emotional unhealth where we end up feeling entitled. We, feel, we end up believing the worst thing about someone or the worst thing about God. And we end up saying things we should never say. Or we, the best is we get into like a, comp, we get into like a, like a little fight with God. Like, God, I did this for you. Like, I'm making a list. This is what I've given up, and you haven't done this. And I always love when people think about doing that. I just always imagine sitting down with God and God being like, uh, well, do I get to make a list? Because if you get to make a list, I get to make a list. Right? And you're, you're really humble, so you say, oh, God, you go first. And then God's like, all right, let's just start with uh, salsa, spaghetti, hand-holding, oxygen. Life, friendship, Julian's brunch. <laughs> okay, 
what happens is these faulty expectations lead us into entitlement and then it robs us of our joy. And we begin to tell stories about God and we begin to tell stories about other people that just are not true. And so we need to sit in a sort of like posture of letting go. God, forgive me of the way I thought my life would turn out. God, forgive me of the expectations maybe it's that I put on other people. So as we wrap up here, I'd like to think or hope maybe that God is putting his finger on a relationship that's a mess right now. Maybe you just realize you have like a lot of stories in your head. Like you've got a lot of things you tell yourself about yourself or about what other people are thinking about you. And at this point, I mean, we're going to practice this a bit in our home churches, some of this. There's not much more I, I can do or I can say. This is a, is a hard thing. And it's always the simplest things, right? I'm pretty sure I probably didn't share a ton of new information with anybody today. I, I know I need to stop mind reading. And I, of course, I need to clarify my expectations of other people. But are we going to be people who take seriously the invitation from God to, to know ourselves and to be able to entrust other people to him? It is a posture of surrender, I would argue, that is one of the most central postures of the follower of Jesus. We talk about this all the time. It's why many of us put our hands up in worship. It's like I'm just, I'm letting go. I want you at the center, not me. I want your truth, like an everlasting truth, not just the truth of the moment. I want to receive just how good and beautiful and true your love is and not some watered down, heretical, messed up version of what that love might be. I want to trust your unmerited favor. To receive grace, you have to have such a posture of surrender. And that posture like just transcends perfectly or translates perfectly onto this subject. Because it's like, I just surrender what Jimmy thinks of me. I surrender what she may be thinking right now. I surrender my expectations because these are unrealistic. I'm aware of my unconscious expectations and I need to communicate that to this person in a respectful, loving way. And until then, I need to let this go. So I want to invite us in this moment. Um, let's stand together, if you would. I invite you to open your hands in a posture of receiving, whatever that might be for you. This, for me, it's just like this. And I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, the comforter, or would you comfort those? Who just feel ravaged by unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy relationships. Spirit of truth, would you divide the truth from a lie? 
tear down the lies that we believe. Holy Spirit, God of light, some of us are just in a dark place, Lord. Holy Spirit, there's wind. Some of us are just far from you. We're reminded, where can we go from your spirit? Reach us where we thought we were completely lost. Reconciles. Lord, would you begin in our hearts, Lord? Would you begin, Lord, to show us the way forward? Lord, we desire to love you and to love our neighbor and to love our spouse to love our friends and to even, Lord, love our enemies, to embody this love we see displayed, Lord, in your Son, Jesus. So rekindle that first love. Lord, as we sing this last song together, would you just, for those of us who are here and who are followers of Jesus, would you take us back to that that moment of of, uh, remembering our first love, the love we had at first. That you may stir in us, Lord, a deep desire to surrender, to let go. In Jesus' name.